We're kicking off a brand new series today in the book of Philippians. We're going to... We're going to get through Philippians in four weeks, four chapters, four weeks. Each week's going to be a chapter, so you're going to have to come with an empty stomach and a hunger pain, and you're going to have to be ready to eat. Look at your neighbor and say, you hungry? A lot of hunger talking about this morning. <laughs> Sorry if you skip breakfast and your stomach's really growling now because I keep talking about the good food I'm going to go eat after lunch, I mean for lunch, but you know, um, anyway. So we're kicking off a brand new series in, in Philippians today. So it'll be four weeks, we'll take some kind of a break from, the, from a series, and then we may, we may, I'm praying through jumping into John, and John becoming like Acts. And so we'll take our time and walk through John. Um, so the book of Philippians is an incredible book. The title of my message today is Be Like Jesus. So I want you to look at the person next to you that you didn't look at last time and say, you need to be like Jesus. Just be like Jesus. Tell them again, just be like Jesus. You don't have to be even a better version of yourself. Just be like Jesus. Come on, say that. You don't need to be a better version of yourself. Be like Jesus. Yeah, you don't need to be like people on social media. Just be like Jesus. Come on. Mm-hmm. Be like Jesus. So I'm going to give you a little bit of context. I'm not going to get into the historical part of the book of Philippians, but I do want to give you a little bit of context to get, just give you something to understand. And then I'm going to show you four things that Paul does in chapter 1 that I think is, um, is pretty phenomenal. He points to Jesus throughout the whole book. Uh, Paul basically, once he was radically converted, pointed to Jesus the rest of his life, which, by the way, we should be doing also. It's in the message. <laughs> it was written approximately around 60 to 62 A.D. Paul wrote it while he was in a Roman prison. So he was in a prison in Rome. This is important because at, in the Roman prison, Paul probably had somewhere around 1,000 people around him that he could have influenced. This is important. It's important facts that you just need to just kind of register in the back of your mind. He was in a Roman prison. He wrote this letter to the church that he had planted in Philippi 10 years earlier. This is the cool thing about Paul is that Paul would go on these missionary journeys, he would get some folks radically saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he would establish a church, stay with them for a little while, and then move on to the next city and do the same thing over and over again. So Paul was a church planter. He was, he was responsible to going into regions that didn't have a church yet, and he was planting churches in those regions. Keep in mind, there was no email, no phone. Letters took forever, so when you said something, it had to be extremely to the point, and it had to be extremely intentional, right? So Paul, in prison, you got, this is super cool, Paul, in prison, is managing and overseeing the churches that he also planted. He planted the church when he wasn't in prison. After he planted the church, he found himself in prison, and now he's encouraging the church from his prison. He would visit them. Um, he planted the church on his second missionary journey that way. He would visit them again six years after he planted the church. But once he was in prison, he could only send letters back and forth to encourage, to correct, to instruct, and oversee the churches that he planted. So Paul's writing this letter that we're getting ready to dive into 
when the church was only 10 years old. Now, we're, we're roughly 15, 16 years old. Um, this would have hit about five years ago for us. We still got a long way to go. Like, we're still wet behind the ears. Come on, somebody. <laughs> anyway, yeah, just like that noise right there. That's, that's where we're at. Yep, it's confirmation. I want to show you four ways that Paul points the church to Jesus. Number one, if you're taking notes, Paul's prayer for the church pointed to Jesus. He wrote his prayer. He wrote what he was praying for the church in his letter to the church. Sometimes people find encouragement when they figure out or understand how you pray for them. Because sometimes you pray for yourself, but somebody else prays for you a little bit different, and you hear how they pray for you, and you go, oh, that's a good way to pray. I might ought to change the way I'm praying for myself and start praying the way T-Boy is praying for me. That way, anyway, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 9, Paul's prayer points them to Jesus. Watch what Paul says. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. That's so important. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day, until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So, so Paul prays five specific things over the church. I'm praying we can find the thermostat and turn the air conditioning off for a little while. Can I get an amen? Because if the big bald-headed guy is cold, y'all frozen. <clears throat> so somebody touch that thing, lay hands on that thermostat real quick. Not, not too aggressively. We don't want to go from one extreme to the other. So Paul prays five specific things over the church, and I want to unpack those real quick. If you're, ready to, if, you're, if you're writing, if you're taking notes, here we go. Number one, he prays that, that their love would overflow, that your love will overflow. He's, he's, so what does that mean, that my love? Does it mean that my love for others will overflow? Does it mean that my love for myself will overflow? Does it mean the love I receive from God will overflow? We need to understand this because some of you tend to be a little self-centered and you would take this as, well, I need to love myself even more. And you might already be over-loving yourself. <laughs> Come on, somebody. But then, but then some of you may not love yourself at all, and you're loving everybody else more than you're loving yourself, and you need to take this as, maybe I need to love myself a little bit more. Right? And some of you are seeing this as it's something that leaves you, and you're not understanding that it's also something that, that comes to you. It's something you receive, and it's something that you give. You can't give what you don't have. If you're trying to give what you don't have, you're faking. And everybody knows it. They're just kind. <laughs> that, that, you got to get this. There is always love available for you. 
A born-again believer can never say no one loves me. If you say that, you're insulting the God who gave his son to die on the cross for you, who gave a full expression of his love to you already, and is sitting there waiting with truckloads of love to pour into you. So as a born-again believer, you cannot believe the lie that nobody loves me, that I am unloved, that nobody cares. I pray, Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow. In other words, I pray, I pray that you get so much love that it starts pouring out of you. Like you don't even need to try. Like you're just walking around and skadoosh, some love falls on Jeff and dadoosh, it falls on Toby. And, and you're just like a drunk. You're just walking around spilling love. Everybody love everybody. <laughs> So Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow. Then he says this, more and more. I'll never forget being newly married. I, I, my, my consistent prayer when we were first married, I, and I, I realized now I have to get back to that, is, is I prayed for Cheryl and I that our love for each other would grow more and more. I prayed specifically that it would be like a wine that gets better with time. Like the flavor of our marriage increases the longer we, come on somebody. Woo! Lord help us. Going into a marriage series. Let's go. Uh, number two, number two, Paul prays that they would keep growing in knowledge and understanding. Now this is important. We're, we're, we're typically people that, that don't like to learn. Okay, they're in denial. I'm going to tell y'all. We're typically people that don't like to learn. Like, we got done with school, and we were done learning. Come on, somebody. Can I get a witness in the place? Like, I'm done. Like, I had enough of that school. I made it all the way through junior high, and I'm done. <laughs> but Paul's praying that they would keep growing. Watch how they're growing. Two important ways, growing in knowledge and understanding. That's two different things. Knowledge is not understanding, and understanding is not always knowledge. Come on. Knowledge is something that's more scholastic. It's something that's more, it's more student-like. It's something that you actually have to apply some, <laughs> here's your favorite word, discipline. Like you've got to crack the book and read it if you want to know about Jesus. Come on, somebody. If you're going to grow in your knowledge of Jesus, you've got to crack the book and read it. <sighs> and then he says you're going to go, I pray that you keep growing in knowledge and understanding. How do we grow in understanding? You grow in understanding when you take the knowledge and apply it to your life and you have experiences that turn the light bulb on and you go, oh, that's what that scripture meant. Oh my, I understand now. For years, I never understood people with back pain until I blew some disc out. And I laid on the floor for two months, and I got addicted to pain pills. I went, oh, my God, I understand. Now I got empathy for people with back pain. Paul's saying, I pray that you will grow in knowledge and understanding. That's simply put, by learning and obeying. It's not complicated. Keep learning, keep obeying. You don't have to be a genius. 
keep learning, keep obeying. If you're not a good reader, the, there's people that have put the Bible on, on an app and professionals will read to you. Keep learning. Don't, don't, don't settle for an excuse. Keep learning. All right, and then keep obeying. Number three, Paul says, I pray that you would understand what really matters. Woo, I'm about to get up in your business. I pray that you would understand what really matters. So here's the million dollar question. What really matters? Does all this stuff we're freaking out about, worrying about, stressing about, having anxiety fits about, does that even really matter? Like none of that's going to make it to eternity. Does it really matter? If you've been married longer than a minute, you're going to have to answer that question. <laughs> if they leave their shoes in the middle of the bathroom floor and you've got to step over them, does it really matter? Some of you are like, yes, it does, Pastor. I don't care what you say. You can be holy. It don't matter. I don't, I'm drawing a line with shoes in the bathroom. We need to understand what really matters. Watch this. Jesus refused to be distracted. Do you know the enemy's throwing bait in front of you all week long? He sees you as a rainbow trout sitting there looking all pretty, and he's throwing flies in front of you all day long, dancing them on the water, waiting for you to bite. Does it really matter? Does your current offense really matter? Does it really matter? Especially when the Bible says to make allowance for each other's faults. It also tells us that love covers a multitude of sin. I'm not giving you an excuse to go abuse people and offend people, but I'm just telling you, sometimes you need to answer the question, does my offense really matter? Oh, I know you felt it. I know it hurts. I know it stung. That's how you got offended. But does it really matter in light of all of eternity? Does it really matter? Can I just take care of it with Jesus? Can I just go to Jesus with my offense and let him settle my heart? And if that person never admits that they did something right or wrong, so what? It doesn't really matter. I release them. I release myself. I forgive them. The slate's clean. I can see them at Walmart and I take the next aisle. I can talk to them. Why? Because my offense really didn't matter. I made some allowance for their faults. You see, we all want a lot of allowance for our faults, but we don't want to give much allowance for people's faults. So he says, I pray that you would understand what really matters, not be distracted. So that, here's the purpose of understanding what really matters, so that you will live pure and blameless lives. We get in trouble when we play what doesn't matter. We get in trouble when we play with what doesn't matter. Ah. Just like you get burned when you play with fire. You play with the wrong thing. You play with the things that don't matter. It's really not everybody else's fault. 
He says, you will live pure and blameless lives. To live pure and blameless comes from understanding what really matters. And number five, he prayed that they would be filled with the fruit of salvation. Wow. You know what that is? It tells us. He tells us that. It says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life. Who produces it? By Jesus Christ. When you got saved, Jesus committed to producing fruit in your life. Come on. I I haven't read where it says I have to go out and strain some fruit to prop out. The Holy Ghost and Jesus are responsible for my fruit. My part is to allow it to happen. Righteous character is simply put, right choices and right actions. What are you responsible for? For making right choices and right actions. That's righteous character. Jesus made the right choices. He took the right actions. So can we. Amen? So Paul's prayer points to Jesus. Number two, Paul's preaching points to Jesus. Down in verse 12, Paul says this. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything, say everything. Every, that, that's like everything, y'all. Y'all caught that? I mean, I know it's simple, but sometimes we just need to be reminded because we forget easy. Everything means everything. Paul is saying that every single little bitty big dramatic thing that's happened in my life, everything that has happened to me here has helped me or helped to spread the good news. Oh, Jesus, help us. Everything that's happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. I'm praying you change your mind about your trouble. Change your mind about your troubles. (laughs) Paul is making the point that everything that has happened to him has helped to spread the gospel. Watch this. Paul rarely had a pulpit, one of these. He rarely had an organized preaching time. Rarely. But what he had a lot of was a prison cell. And Paul didn't let his prison cell silence his calling, silence his purpose, hold back his meaning of life. He didn't let those bars, those bricks, those stones keep him from doing what he was designed to do.
he preached his greatest messages from his prison cells. We're sitting here thousands of years later learning valuable life lessons from Paul's prison cell. He was chained up preaching the gospel. Come on, somebody. He didn't wait till he was free to preach. He preached while he was bound. Oh, my gosh. Paul had to believe that his imprisonment was somehow the will of God for his life. Watch this. And he accepted it. He accepted it. Not only did he accept it, he made the best of it. Now, I guarantee you Paul prayed to be set free. I guarantee you Paul cried out to God to get out of that prison cell and go and plant more churches. You can read it in his letters. I long to come and see you. I'm hoping to come and see you. I'm praying that I get to come and be with you. But God never let him. But it didn't stop him. He couldn't travel the world so God would bring the world to him. He had an audience of over a thousand people that would constantly hear him preach and teach. This is what's really cool about Paul, and this is what I want you to grab a hold of today. Paul took his responsibility serious, but he didn't take other people's responsibility for them. You caught that? Paul took his responsibility serious, but he refused to take other people's responsibility for them. What was Paul responsible for? Preaching. What was the thousand people responsible for? Hearing. (laughs) Some of you ain't preaching because you're worried about the hearing. What if you just left the hearing up to them and God? But what if they don't hear me? But what if you don't preach? So Paul Paul preached in multiple ways. Remember, he didn't have a pulpit. He had a prison. Number one, Paul preached with his mouth. Read the scriptures. Every time Paul had an audience, every time he was brought in before the high council, every time he was on trial, he never defended himself. What did he do? He never pleaded his own case. What did he do? He declared the case for Christ. He preached the gospel of Jesus. He figured if I got some ears in the room, I'm responsible to tell them the good news. I'm just going to say the good news. Give me a platform. I'm going to tell them the good news. Give me two people. I'm going to tell them the good news. Give me the high priests and the judges and the kings and the rulers. I'm going to tell them the good news. Because my preaching doesn't bow down to their authority. So he preached with his mouth. Every chance he got, he preached. He used intentional words. Paul didn't waste words. You ever see, you ever see a, a, a Labrador that was trained, like it's got hunting genetics? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like a duck dog? Like this dog... His, his pawpaw's pawpaw was a champion. So it's in his blood, right? You can do everything you want to to play with that dog. You can do everything you want to to make that a house dog. 
He ain't ever going to be a house dog. He's going to be a chase something dog. Right? Why? Because something inside of him has been changed. Something genetically changed inside of him. He was bent on getting a duck. (laughs) Paul was bent on preaching the gospel. The second way he preached was with his actions. And I'm going to tell you today, this is one of the loudest ways you can preach. You can hit a college campus, you can hit Walmart, you can hit a strip mall, you can hit a, a grocery store, it doesn't matter. People don't want to hear what you got to say, but they show enough listening to what you do. They're watching what you do. They're listening to that deep sigh you take, that snap of the head, that, you know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are like, I don't do that. Ask your spouse. <laughs> don't get offended if they tell you the truth. <laughs> Paul preached with his action. He preached with how he carried himself. He preached with with how he reacted to things. Come on, somebody. He preached with how he reacted. He preached how he responded. Some of you are still responding in the flesh, and you don't need to be. Your flesh is your first response instead of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you being your first response. Some of you still got the gun hammer cocked back ready to throat punch somebody anytime they say something stupid. Don't lie. I didn't ask you to raise your hand, but don't lie. You in church. Some of y'all ready to go. Bump me. Say something. You got a Medea spirit on you. Say something stupid. Don't make me get there. Paul preached with his emotions. Listen to me. All that happened to Paul, he was still not an emotional basket case. Why? Because he refused to let his emotions lead his life. He had righteous character. He made right choices that changed his emotions, not his emotions changing his choices. When you live by your feelings, you're going to die by your feelings. Come on, somebody. Number three, he preached with his attitude. And I want you to understand something today. Your attitude, whether you know this or not, your attitude always shows. Can I get a better amen? Your attitude always shows. You think you can hide your attitude? You can't hide your attitude. An attitude can be felt. Your kids will get off the bus all holly and jolly and oh, da, 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 walk up in your house and you got a bad attitude. I'm like, ooh, I think I'm going to go take the garbage out. <laughs> Mom got an attitude. <laughs> Dad's walking a little too upright. <laughs> I got a telltale sign, this crease right here. I'm telling you, the sucker gets me in trouble all the time. And I try my best to go. I've pra- I've, I'm, honestly, I've literally practiced in the mirror, like trying to get the crease to quit. When I get intense, whew, there it is. Telltale sign, you can't hide your attitude. Paul preached with his attitude. He preached with his mouth, he preached with his actions, and he preached with his attitude. What is your attitude preaching? You heard me? What's your attitude preaching? 
Because sometimes your attitude will preach what your heart doesn't want to preach. The third thing that Paul used to, to point people to Christ was his pride. Now, we're going to we're gonna have to hang on to this one for a minute because this is a slippery slope. I'm going to walk through this one a little bit careful because pride can be seen multiple ways. Pride can be good or pride can be bad. Like I'm proud of my kids, but I'm not prideful of my kids. Does that make sense? Are you catching the middle ground in all of this? Pride can be good and bad. Watch what Paul says in verse 25. Knowing this, he's talking to them about the struggle that he's having. Let me give you the context. He's having a struggle with leaving this earth and going to be with Jesus, the one he's in love with. Like he's like, I'm done with these people. He felt what Moses felt, like I'm done. I tap. Can I go home? He felt like you felt last week. Jesus, just come on. <laughs> Anybody? Okay. So, so he felt like he wanted to leave. He had this deep desire to want to leave. But there was something that kept him here. And so then that's what's leading up to this. He's telling them, I have a, a, a real strong desire to go and be with Jesus, but I know that I may need to stay here with you. Watch verse 25. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he's doing through me. Come on, pay attention. I need you to dig in for a minute. I need you to focus. You're going to have to get this one because it's, it, it, it's a little deep. It's a little tricky, but I believe you can get it. Paul's communicating his great desire to go and be with Christ, but he's telling them, I know that it is valuable for me to stay here with you. Paul wasn't prideful in error. He was prideful in, health, in a healthy way. Paul understood his value to the body of Christ. Somebody better start praying. We're going to need some help with this one. Paul understood the value he had in the body of Christ. He understood the value didn't come because of his own straining and thinking and studying. The value came because of what Christ did inside of him. So Paul refused to succumb to the lie that he was worthless, that he was a piece of trash, and he didn't deserve nothing from God, and he was, he was useless. He refused to believe that lie, and I'm telling you today, somebody in this room is going to have to kick the lie out of your life that I'm not, I'm not useless, I'm not junk, I'm not a mistake, I'm valuable. I'm valuable. Paul is saying to them that I, I, I know that I'm, I'm going to stay alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. He understood his value. He managed his value. My God in heaven. If you know your value, you'll quit giving the devil your goods. 
If you know your value, you'll quit settling for what the world has to offer you. You'll quit, you'll quit going into the things that the world's going into. You'll say, you know what, I'm too, I'm, I'm priceless, baby. I, I'm too valuable for that junk. I'm not going there anymore. I made some mistakes by clicking on that, but I ain't that no more. I'm valuable. I've been redeemed. I've been bought with a price. Come on, somebody. Somebody's greater than all this planet is working inside of me, making me more like him. Self, I'm not a piece of trash. So I'm not going to act like a piece of trash. I'm not going to respond like a piece of trash. I'm not going to go where trash goes. He was almost arrogant. You know, there's a place with pride that it, it, it kind of sits in between these two bars if it's a gauge. And, it, and healthy pride sits in here, and it can be, it can swing to false humility, or it can swing to arrogance. Paul kept the needle where the needle belonged. He knew his value, but he reminded himself who gave him his value. I didn't give myself my value. This is a self-proclaimed value. This is value that comes by knowing Christ. The only responsibility I had was to learn and obey. So I believe Paul was proud to become like Jesus. I said that in a world full of Christians who are ashamed to be like Jesus. But he was proud to become like Jesus. You see, I believe when Paul had the Damascus Road experience, I believe he saw himself differently that day. Watch this. I believe Paul went from, in that moment, went from comparing himself to others around him, and in light of Christ, he compared himself to Jesus for once. And he said, I don't measure up. I can outrun these other hooligans. I can outstudy them. I can outlearn them. I can outpreach them. I can out. Uh, uh, Argue them. I can do all these other things with these other people I'm comparing myself to. That's where unhealthy pride is built, by the way. But when he compared himself with this experience with Christ, he went, uh-oh. I'm not there yet. I can't run with the, the big man. So what happened? He had to surrender. It radically changed his view of his self. My God. You see, it was the moment he quit comparing himself with others that he saw himself in comparison with Christ. So what if you don't have a well-shaped head and can be bald like me? So what? At least you got hair. You manage the summers better than I do and the winters. So what everybody else has? So what everybody else is doing? What is Christ up to? What's Jesus doing? 
You see, Paul had an understanding that when he yielded his life to Jesus and followed him, not only did he become more like Jesus, but he would also walk in the authority and power of Jesus. God ain't going to give you no authority and power if you don't even know how to possess it, if you don't even know how to see yourself well. That's like giving a loaded gun to somebody who don't know about guns. Right? Cut that heath. Okay. <laughs> he had an understanding. Watch this. If, the, if becoming like Jesus is the goal, then shouldn't it be okay to be confident and proud of the transformation? Like if Jesus is the goal, like this whole Christianity thing is to become like Jesus. If that's the goal, then shouldn't it be okay to find confidence and be proud that I'm more like Jesus today than I was last week? It's not something to be embarrassed by. It's something to be proud of in a healthy way. You gotta change the way you see yourself. You gotta change the way you see God. You're not a barnacle on the bottom of a boat in Delcom. Thank you, Pastor Bubba. Listen to me. If that's the goal, celebrate the win. Because if you don't celebrate the wins, you give up. I'm going into my second year being on a diet. I've lost almost 30 pounds. Thank you very much. It looked really good after I shaved my beard. <laughs> just, just, that's what Glenn told me this morning. I lose four or five pounds. Cheat day. Not cheat week. Cheat day. Why? Because if I don't get a cheat day, they're going to be a quit day. <laughs> Come on. Even, even the dietician says you can get a cheat day every now and then. Now, now be careful. Some of y'all just heard, oh, that's it. Every Sunday, y'all scheduling the mess out of your cheat day. Whether I lose weight or not, Sundays is cheat days. How you know that, Pastor? Because I've done that. <clears throat> Shouldn't it be okay to be confident? Shouldn't it be okay to be proud that Jesus has changed your life? Why would we want to be embarrassed by that? Why would we want to hide that? Why would we want to be ashamed of that? That's where people see Jesus in us when we become more like Jesus. So step out into this lost, going-to-hell world and let Jesus shine in your life. Be confident in who you are. Stop selling yourself short. Stop believing the lies of the enemy. You are not what he says you are. You are what Christ says that you are. And you're not the same. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, I'm faithful and just to finish the work that I started in you. I mean, the, the basic truth is some days you lose three pounds, some days you don't lose none. There's days you don't look like Jesus. Okay. Okay. Keep on going. Don't quit. 
Paul was convinced that as long as he was alive, he could help others grow and experience the joy of their faith. Which raises the question, what is this joy of my faith? Watch this. It's the missing link right now. It's the missing link in your life right now. Some of you are boudaying in your faith. Some of you are depressed in your faith. You've let the enemy take the joy of your faith. Mm-hmm. Holy Ghost is going to do something with that. What is this joy of my faith? What is it? It's the realization that I'm actually becoming more like Christ. It's not as fast as I expected it to. It's not as, as big as I expected it to be. But I'm not who I used to be. And I'm not going to be who I am today by the end of next week. Because I've determined in my mind to follow Jesus. And when I hang out with Jesus, I become like Jesus. You can't be with Jesus and not become like Jesus. Just like you can't hang out with the devil and not become like the devil. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. Some of you surrender your faith too easily. I mean, you surrender your joy too easily. Your joy is out on your sleeve. And the least little thing that comes by takes your joy. A little bump, a little graze on something. Sometimes, Cheryl and I were talking about our finances the other day, and I'm, I'll be a little vulnerable with you. We, we've, got, we've got some debt that we're not comfortable with and some debt that we're comfortable with, like house debt. We're comfortable with house debt, but we've got some other debts that we're not comfortable with, but we're working to pay them off, and we're, it's part of the priority. It's part of the goal. We were sitting down talking, and I asked the question, how much do I own my truck? How much do I own your car? How much we own this? And those are, those are monthly payments that probably are, are auto-drafted, that we don't physically touch them. But every month, the debt's coming down, right? But you don't always aware that the debt's coming down. You don't always remember that something's changing until you stop and look at it, right? If you focus on the problems... You'll only see the problems. If you'll shift your perspective, you might see something that'll give you your joy back. I almost bust up in the living room dancing because my truck, I'm like, whoa! <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having confidence in your maturity as a Christian. As long as it's realistic confidence. <laughs> there are people in here that give themselves too much credit. It just had to be said. 
This is why. You need to know who you are. You need to have confidence in it. The devil runs over wondering people all day long. He runs over insecure people all day long. That's easy prey. He has a hard time with somebody who knows who they are and knows whose they are. Come on, somebody. The goal is to get around others with your confidence and your pride, your healthy pride, and them to experience Jesus in you by being next to you. Do you know Jesus is doing all this work in you so that when you get next to somebody, they experience him in you? It's almost like he's giving you a coat to wear, and he's saying, wear this out in public and let people see, sense, smell, and know that you belong to me. That's what holiness is. It's I'm I'm set apart. So the more you remain in Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. The more you become like Jesus, the more others see Jesus in you. Is that simple enough? All right. Number four. So Paul, Paul, Paul points to Jesus through his prayer, through his preaching, through his pride. He was proud to be a Jesus follower. He was proud to become more like Jesus. God. By the way, when you become more like Jesus, you don't have to go out and, and uh, advertise that. People will advertise it for you. It speaks for itself. Number four, Paul's Perspective pointed to Jesus. Perspective is simply his point of view, how he saw things. Here's the question. How do you see things in your life right now? What's your perspective? What's your point of view? Sometimes you can see things as a victim. So all you see is through the lens and the filter of a victim which clouds what you actually see. And then there's days where you see things as a victor, where you see them as I'm an overcomer. How do you see right now? What is your point of view? Is everything doom and gloom for you right now? Is everything depressive right now? How do you see? This is so important. Verse 27 to 30. Watch how Paul wraps this up. He makes, this, he says these two little words at the beginning of verse 27. Above all. Which simply means this. Everything I just preached to you, Paul saying this is more important than that. <laughs> like above all that, listen to this. Here it is. You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose. 
fighting together for the faith, by the way, not with each other, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated. Verse 28 just rocks my, it rocks my world. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Christ. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it today. One of the greatest gifts we receive when we're born again is a new perspective. We get to now see things as a live person and not a dead person. (laughs) We see things above the ground, not six foot under. Come on, somebody. That's one of the greatest gifts of giving your life to Jesus is that now I get to see differently. I get to see better. I get to see from another angle. I get to see from a higher perspective. I get to look down on things instead of looking up from things. We get to see from a different location. So Paul says something that you, you're probably wrestling with, with right now. He says, you're, he says, live as citizens of heaven, but we're not in heaven yet. Is that a little bit confusing? Live as citizens of heaven, but I'm on earth. Live as citizens of heaven. I'm in Eunice, Lord. (laughs) Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. When you were born again, you became spiritually alive, you changed your citizenship. You don't belong to the world anymore. You got promoted. Your citizenship has changed. You just have to live here for a little while longer until Jesus comes back. But while you're here, you don't have to live like you belong here. Let me see if I can help you understand it this way, because this is, it's a complex topic to, to live as a citizen of heaven, to conduct myself in such a way that I don't live here. I live in, I'm, my citizenship is in heaven, but I'm, I'm physically on this planet. It, it's a little bit complex, but just because it's complex doesn't mean you need to back away from it. You need to press into it and let Jesus give you some revelation of it. Then and only then will you know how to live as a citizen of heaven on the earth when you press into it. You press into the revelation of it. So don't give up because you can't understand it because on the surface it seems to be so complex that you can't wrap your mind around it. Listen to me. 
live as citizens of heaven is what the Bible is telling us to do today. How do we do that is the best question you can ask right now. How do I live as a citizen of heaven in Eunice, Louisiana? Lord, help me. Help me answer this question. Let me see if this will help you. One way to understand America that maybe most of us have never understood before is to change your citizenship from America to Africa. Sell your stuff because you don't need to bring it to Africa with you. Sell it all. Buy yourself a one-way plane ticket and get your citizenship in Africa swapped over and become an African. Then turn and look back at America and I bet you'll see it differently. I bet you'll see it with a different perspective. I bet you'll start to understand why people are running across the borders to try and live in America. Right? So do the same thing with heaven. The Bible says to keep your mind up there, to keep your thoughts up there. We need to be heavenly minded. Which means you got to guard your mind to become earthly minded. Don't let the devil drag you back. <laughs> like I moved out the hood. I don't want to go back. <laughs> but when you change your citizenship, you see the place that you left differently. As born again believers, we should see America as filled with a bunch of Christians who may or may not really be Christians. We should see America as a nation of people who have turned their back on God and have spat on God. People who are so self-consumed that they got more idols than they got breath. When you start to see America from heaven's perspective, you'll start to treat America differently than you do now. Forget all the getting sucked in stuff. You'll start to get intentional. You'll start to get up in the morning with a little fire in your belly because you realize that the people you see every day could very well die and go to hell. And now all of a sudden, because you see it differently now, it starts to affect your conscience. It starts to do something on the inside of you. And what you used to judge people about, you're now being drawn to them with compassion because your viewpoint changed. It's hard to see a good life if you live in the garbage dump. You got to get out the garbage dump to realize how bad the garbage dump is. All right. Did the best I could. I was responsible to preach it. Y'all are responsible to hear it. And the Holy Ghost is responsible to help you. Let me tell you how to live. Ten ways to, to, to live. <laughs> He's like, you thought we were done, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, shocker. Ten ways to live. So I want to leave you with something, something practical if I can. So if Paul says to conduct yourselves in such a manner that's worthy of the good news, then how do we live? How do I live as a citizen of heaven and not a citizen of earth anymore? How do I live? Number one, you need to live like a new person. You need to live new. Some of you are wearing your old clothes into this new life. 
Some of you are practicing your old habits in a new life. You need to live like you're brand new. Still got that new car smell. Come on, somebody. (laughs) There's a fragrance about you. You need to live like a new person. You need to change your clothes, which means this, to change your mindset and your attitude towards who you are. I'm new. And anytime somebody tries to remind you of the old you, you can tell them Christ died and that old person died too. Number two, you need to live like you are clean. Because you've never been this clean. Because when you were born again, the blood of Jesus washed you as white as snow. You ain't ever been this clean. No matter how good that nurse was the day you were born, you ain't never been this clean. And on top of that, you get a little stain on you, you can still go back to Jesus and the blood still works today. Come on, somebody. So you can stay clean. You get a little stain on you, go to Jesus. He's better than Tide. Come on, somebody. He's going to clean you up. So you need to live like you're clean. Number three, you need to live like you belong to heaven. (laughs) Not like you're trying to belong. You can buy a saint's jersey, a saint's helmet, shoulder pads, saint's pants, saint's cleats, and never be a saint. Right? You pretending. You're trying to be. They didn't draft you. Right? But heaven did. So you need to live like you belong to heaven, not like you belong to the earth. You see... Conduct in heaven, character in heaven, the way things go in heaven is drastically different than how they go on the earth. Ain't nobody breaking into your house in heaven. They ain't got locks on the doors. Ain't no potholes in the streets. Ain't no mosquitoes. Come on, y'all, bayous of bluebell. Y'all getting the picture now? No humidity. Weather's always perfect. You need to live like you belong. Stop living like you're stuck. Number four, live like you have authority. You need to live like you have authority. Let me ask you a question. When you got born again, who came to live inside of you? The Holy Ghost. There's a ghost in you. (laughs) And he ain't spooky. He's powerful. You need to live like you have authority. Which means you quit wondering if you have authority. Which means you study the book to find out how to exercise your authority. Because one of the best ways to learn how to use the authority you've given is to exercise the authority that you've been given. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You have authority. Number five, you have, live like you have power. That's different than authority. Authority is more like confidence. And it's like you got, it's even better than Barney Fife with a silver bullet. Like authority, it's it's real authority. It's confidence in knowing who you are, knowing that you can walk on this planet and you have dominion over it. That's authority. But power is the ability to do something with your authority. 
So you need to discover how much power you have. And you discover it by exercising it. I'll give you a simple practice. You can do this tomorrow. You can do this this afternoon. The Bible says when the devil comes after you, if you'll just resist him, he'll flee from you. Try it. Instead of letting him stay for two months, run him out in two minutes. You'll never know how much power you have until you resist him. And then you watch the backside of him running away. And you kind of go, shazam, this really works. And then that will lead you into using more power and more. You get what I'm saying? So live like you have power. Number six, live like you have an army. Quit believing that you're isolated. Quit believing that you're independent. Stop acting independent. Stop letting the devil convince you to be isolated and run away from the church and run away from the people God's put in your life. You got an army. There's a heavenly army and there's an earthly army. The body of Christ on the earth is a force to be reckoned with. You have an army and it's all on your side. You can either be like Elijah or you can be like Elijah's servant. The servant couldn't see the army, but Elijah could until the servant's eyes was opened. Number seven, live like you have an endless source. I dare you to prove to me in Scripture where God ran out of something. Show me. In the Scriptures where God ran out, where the Bible says God couldn't do anything else because he ran out of it. So far, we've never run out of oxygen. <laughs> right? Number eight, live like you're fully loved. Allow the Father to love you and set yourself up to receive it often. Some of you are waiting for him to chase you down with his love. You know what he's really waiting for you to do? is to sit down with him so that he can pour it on you. He don't want to hit you on the run, even though he will at times. But he don't want to take his bucket of love and catch you running and try to have to estimate where you're going to be when the bucket hits you and all this. He don't want to just sit down. Some of you don't afford yourself enough time to receive God's love. Sit down. Let him wash you with his words. Sometimes he says to me, hey, buddy, I'm proud of you. Sometimes he says my name. Jamie, I just want you to know I love you. I'm proud of you. You're doing what I want you to do. Can I be honest? That still makes me uncomfortable. But I keep going back. Right? Number nine, live like you're fully satisfied. I have all I need. Watch this. I'm not waiting on anything else. Some of you are in a holding pattern because you're waiting for something to change before you'll do the next thing. What if you already got all that you need? And it won't activate until you get in motion. I'm not waiting on nothing else. 
And number 10, you need to live like you've already won. Not like you're trying to win. Big difference. Big difference. Live like you already won. What's the end of your story look like? What's the last page in your book? You want me to tell you what the last page in your book says? I'll read all your mail right now. You want to hear what the last page of your book says? If you're born again, this is what the last page of your book says. You will stand before Jesus. He will open his book and he will see your name and he will call you by name and say, come enter into your rest and you will spend eternity in heaven. Sealed, signed, and delivered. It's done. That's the end of your story. So stop trying to win. You've already won. So Paul saw the churches as fearless, not intimidated by their enemies. He saw trusting and suffering both as a privilege. He saw the church unified, together in the struggle and the advancement of the kingdom of God. So what do you do when you find yourself wondering who you are? Wondering about all kinds of things. What do you do? What do you do? What do you normally do that ain't working? Maybe you ought to pray for yourself a little differently. Maybe you need to look in the mirror and preach to yourself a little bit. Maybe you need to change your perspective and realize you're seeing wrong. Sometimes what's wrong seems bigger because we see it wrong. What if all you had to worry about and all you had to focus on was just being like Jesus? Would that make it easier? What if tomorrow morning all you had to do was wake up and say, Lord, I just want to be more like you today. And then just let whatever happens happen. Do whatever he tells you to do. And walk in that. What if you did that? What if becoming more like Jesus is the solution to your greatest problem? Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your heart, Lord. Lord, help us to see different. Teach us how to be citizens of heaven while we're still stuck on this planet. For some of you, there should be something burning inside your heart right now that says, Lord, change my perspective. I've been seeing like the enemy got his head, his foot on my head instead of me, my foot on his head, Lord. And I just need to change my perspective. I need to see differently. Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, I need to receive God's love more than anything else. The Lord would say to you this morning, I'm ready to fill you up to overflowing. 
Maybe you're here and you haven't grown much. And if you're being honest, it's because you've been lazy. You haven't learned or you haven't obeyed what you obeyed what you've learned. Maybe your greatest prayer for yourself is that Lord, I want to grow more and more. I want to understand and I want to grow in knowledge. Help me. Whatever your prayer needs to be today, I pray that you would pray that right now. That you would ask the Lord, invite him into that moment with yourself. Invite him in. Remember when you hang out with Jesus, you begin to you become like Jesus. You start to act like him, talk like him, see like him, feel like him, respond like him. God, we love you today. We bless you. We praise you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's do this real quick. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. If there's anyone here this morning that's not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, never given your life to him. And you'd say, man, I, I realize I need to do that today. That's where it starts. If that's you, just lift your hand real quick. Anybody in this room? You don't know where you'd go right now if you died. You don't know where you would spend eternity. You don't even know if your name's written in the book. If that's you, just raise your hand real quick. Nobody's looking around. You say, man, I want to be born again. I want a new life. Is that you?